lot of, of digital marketers that still mm-hmm. kind of go out and read an old ebook, probably even some of mine from like, <laughs> five and blaming me for it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career as a marketing leader, consultant and trusted advisor, and hopefully along the way share some marketing street knowledge that will bring out the Rockstar CMO in you. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 6th of July. I hope you had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, I share a thought. I have a fabulous guest. I talk SEO with a chap who's been there from the beginning. Do you remember Alta Vista? Steve Wiedemann, Wiedemann Consulting Group, and I ease into the weekend with a trip to the Rockstar CMO virtual bar for a chat with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Right, let's get started, shall we? As my chum and regular guest, Jeff Clark, takes a break and has left me alone with the microphone, I'm going to share a thought for the week. And my thought for this week is a bit of fun, as I wonder... Who's driving your marketing bus? Is it a robot, the marketing technology? Are you doing stuff just because you can? You have the machine, you have the database. So let's pull the handle of the big MarTech slot machine and let it drive. Look at the 0.1% return on that. And never mind the 99.9% who see you as spam. Is it your competitor? Is the answer to every marketing or content question? What does Big Competitor Corp do? Are executives or salespeople sending you examples of what they're doing and why aren't we doing it? Do you have a marketing hiring policy that says if they come from big competitor corp, they must be good? If so, you're probably following in their taillights. Is it the marketing accountant? You know those guys that are entirely driven by the numbers. If you can't measure it, it didn't happen. An obsession that can kill creativity and brand building. Is it a hippo, the highest paid person in the room that's driving the bus? Never mind that we're rarely our own buyer or what the data says. The hippo knows best. This is sometimes referred to as management by InFlight magazine. Hey, kids, I just read about TikTok. Is it the loudest person in the business? You get the email from the executive. Someone has been bugging them. Their business unit ain't getting no marketing love and something has to be done. And never mind the numbers. Is it a hamster? They love to run around the wheel and do the things, the events, the data sheets, the webinars, and spin and run and do the things we've always done, but never stop to see if any of it is working. Is it the people pleaser? We need to sell to everyone. Let's make this grey or light blue. Having a tribe that identifies with you, that sees you as different, requires people that are not quite feeling it, and they can't handle that rejection. Is it a squirrel, the easily distracted marketing leader that's to try everything new but never sticks to anything long enough to see if it works or invest quite enough to make it work? Or is it the strip club baller? They throw money around as they have budget they need to spend and love to be seen spending it. But is it having any effect? Is it the feature creature? They're convinced we will win market share with more features, that what we need on the website is a feature checklist comparing our features with our competitors' features and less marketing budget and more features. Is it the cookie cutter? If they've been around for a while, they believe in how it's always been done here. Or if they're new, how it works back at Big Competitor Corp. 
Is it the shaman? Maybe a kinder way of describing this would be the visionary. When marketing insight is what they believe who who the audience is and what that audience needs, often firing over the heads of the real buyer as they believe in an aspirational message to the C-suite. Is it the outsourcer, a marketing leader that has surrendered their marketing brain to the agencies as really just managing projects and contracts? Is it the customer? Oh, this is an interesting one. A cliche, of course, but, and of course, as content marketers, we need to demonstrate our usefulness, but no. If they truly drove the bus, you would end up with a faster horse, as old Henry Ford once said, and you'd be selling at a low margin until a new thing came along. Sure, we need to market for their pain today, but we also need to play a role in shaping the market, preparing them for the new thing. So who should be driving the bus? I say it's the artist. And I don't mean someone handy with the crayons, but for those folks that create art awareness, revenue, and trust. A balance of some of those fun examples I've just mentioned, they consistently execute with a vision, an eye on the data, know who the true customers are, can handle the hippo, and is an intelligent client to their agencies. That's my thought for the week. And of course, the tune for this week has to be the cars and drive. What do you think? Do you have someone you could add to the list? Or maybe you recognize someone from your marketing career. Let me know, Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. Who's gonna tell you when it's too late? Who's gonna tell you things aren't so great? Can't go on thinking nothing's wrong. What Who's gonna drive you home tonight? I think we can all agree that's quite enough of me. And on to this week's guest. Search engine optimization is often seen as a dark art. We seek to be found by the search engine robots, and it's an essential route to market, as every problem that is solved for a buyer, whether it's B2B or B2C, starts with a search. To that end, this week's guest is Steve Wiedemann of Wiedemann Consulting Group. He considers himself scientist and practitioner of local and e-commerce search engine optimization and paid search advertising. Steve and his team have worked with Fortune 500 companies and small startups alike for over 22 years and has played a role in the inbound successes of brands that have included Disney, Linksys, Belkin, Honda, Skechers, Applebee's, IHOP, Dole, and many others, with an emphasis on strategy, planning, and campaign oversight. Steve has been mentioned and featured in a number of popular publications, including CNN Money, Entrepreneur Magazine, Marketing Sherpa, National Journal, Response Magazine, and on CNBC and Fortune Magazine. He presents at various conferences and trade shows internationally, both virtually and in person, and is a frequent panelist at online marketing events and speaks at many California meetup groups and networking events. And today, he joins us here at Rockstar CMO FM. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Steve, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks for having me on the show today. Hey, you're very, very welcome. It's nice to meet you. Um, and um, so you you founded the the Wiedemann Consulting Group. I've pronounced that correctly, haven't I? 
Yes, sir. You, you yes. got it right. It's, um, it's, it's a rare thing. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I was coached. Um, so tell us a bit about what you guys do. Sure. Well, we right now we're helping a lot of multi-location brands who are having trouble trying to scale, um, showing up in search results for all mm -hmm. of their locations. So if you were to perform a search for, I don't know, restaurant near me, yeah. right, our role is to make sure that that those restaurant chains appear as prominently as possible in mm -hmm. Google Maps and Apple Maps and Google organic result below the maps. And um, so those are those are kind of our, our core um, clients we work with. But we also have a, you know, a, a small subset of, of clients that are a little bit more in the midsize range where they mm -hmm. just need a strategy. What do we do uh, for search marketing in 2022 coming up? Do we have mm -hmm. a plan? What's What's the technical list of things we need to work on? What's the content strategy we need, you know, mm -hmm. to make sure that we're appearing for all of those different words that, that our customers are looking for, both brand and non-brand search terms? Mm -hmm. How do we get other websites to talk about and link to our website to, you know, help with referral traffic and to help with, um, you know, our long-term goal of, of showing up in search? So that's, you know, what we do is help build a strategy and stay on board um, in many cases, as a consultancy to help them through that process. Right. So, um, a lot, a lot of um, a lot B two C there, right? And small to medium sized enterprises as well as large. Is that what I'm hearing there too? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We we get both. Right. We've mm -hmm. we've had you know companies like Skechers, you know, with 300 locations, wow. but also focused on e commerce. So there's mm -hmm. a, a huge B two C. And then you'll also have, you know, brands that we work with that are more B2B. Like we have yeah. a, a client that does video interviewing software, mm -hmm. um, you know, to help with people who want to do virtual interviews. Yeah. So that's, you know, the, the B2B to C sort of thing, right? Right, right. Well, I want to talk about a couple of those topics there, particularly about, sure. you know, what's come through in terms of demand lately, you know, with the pandemic over the last, um, what, 17 months it's been. But Back to you, Steve, to get to know you a little bit better. You've been in search engine marketing since forever. What in, what inspired you to specialize in SEO? I mean, I, 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 you know, sure. you've been there before Google. <laughs> I was I was actually in the um, Army Infantry mm -hmm. in '94, and I remember um, us playing with Gopher servers, and and the internet was this new thing that everyone was excited about. And I just fell in love with it. I, I yeah. started building little websites to keep track of all the things I was learning and doing in my life, kind of journaling online in these cheesy little websites. Mm -hmm. You can see some of them if you're curious in, in archive.org to see just how wow. cheesy, you know, my, my site was back then. <laughs> but, um, but that's how I was, I was helping myself take notes is by putting it online. And other mm -hmm. people started, um, you know, sort of picking up on that. And they'd say, hey, could you build me a website? And nice. I'm like, sure, I'll do it for free because I already have a full-time job and I just like doing this stuff. Yeah. And um, so I just became really passionate about building websites. And I realized that at one point that the clients just weren't getting a lot of business from these sites. They were pretty mm -hmm. and had these really cool scrolling marquees and bell and <laughs> boss buttons and, you know, all that. Uh, Flashing text. And, and that. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. So, um, you know, I just... Out of necessity, I had to figure mm -hmm. out how do I get how do I get traffic to these websites. And yeah. one of my first kind of freelance projects, uh, late '90s, was a DJ who mm -hmm. also worked with me at IBM at the time, and he DJed on weekends and for fun. And I remember after you know figuring out how to get invisibility in Alta Vista and Excite, and wow. you know we're using Netscape Navigator back then. And um, but I figured out how to get him into some of the, the directories, how to get other websites to to talk about him and here in Orange County. Mm -hmm. And um, within I was about six, seven weeks, he comes in and he's like, hey, man, turn it off. 
turn, I, I can't handle all this. This is crazy. Oh my I'm, gosh. I'm just freelancing. I'm yeah. like, turn what off? I, I just promoted your site for you. It's like, yeah. well, turn it off. I'm like, I'm not advertising. I just did marketing. And that's when I realized, <laughs> dang, there could be a, a, you know, a career in this. Yeah. I went back to school. I got a degree in e-business management. Wow. Got to learn everything from setting up web servers to creating databases, mm-hmm. um, you know, a website, graphic design. Uh, yeah. to some programming and, you know, HTML and CSS and, uh, and then the project management component of putting all those different pieces together to, you know, to mm-hmm. bring a website to life and market it. So, um, yeah, so I, that's my whole career has basically been digital marketing, even though, you know, to get there, I had to do a lot of kind of full-time work mm-hmm. somewhere else until that, that career took off. Mm. Oh, that's fascinating. I remember those days as well. And I'm sure the kids listening have probably have no idea what we're talking about when we talk about Netscape and AltaVista and all that kind of good stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, my, I think my earliest memory probably is a little, little bit, it's probably like GeoCities or something where if, if, if ever that existed of the most embarrassing things I've probably created on the internet or something GeoCities like that. Was, was the biggest mistake I think ever made in digital marketing was just mm-hmm. four all of those pages yeah. instead of redirecting them. Yeah. Had, had Yahoo figured out a way to redirect all of that content yeah. to something that was important that drove revenue for them, yeah. they may have made a better comeback, but, yeah. uh, but they just dropped them all, which is crazy. Yeah. I can't remember how long ago that was. That was, yeah, that's a long time ago. It's isn't older, it? <laughs> especially the pandemic. The pandemic was uh, kind of like a etch sketch for us. And I think as we come out of it, we just have mm. to shake it up, start over, and everything yeah. is just one big blur behind us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that sounds about right. And and it's good, uh, you know, well, not good that you raised the pandemic, but you raised the pandemic. Then I was interested in, you know, is have you seen that? Um, so so you work with a lot of brick and mortar firms and, and you talked mm-hmm. about um, Google Maps and, and and local and all that kind of stuff. But presumably that's sure. changed. Right. Um, and so have you seen from your perspective, much more of a demand and, a, and an acceleration of a shift to digital um, with, with some of your newer clients? Absolutely. I don't I don't know what business didn't. Um, yeah. And, and every business was affected differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember a time six months, seven months ago, even where an attorney we worked with said, you know, basically SEO is not working anymore. We're not getting any more leads. What's going on? And we sent him a picture of um, the news page from his city showing that nobody was on the road. It was snowed in. It was, you know, there's just nobody on the road. They're all on lockdown. They're all working virtually. How can there be car accidents if nobody's driving? Um, So, so their, their needs were different for the restaurant chains you know, the, the first immediate need was we, we need to keep the kitchen lights on. What do yeah. we do? Yeah. So, so for us, you know, we had to tackle off premises as quickly as we could take out delivery, car side, curbside, forget yeah. catering for a while. Right? <laughs> yeah. There's no events. Um, so, so we did, we actually created over 3,500 delivery and takeout pages for each um, uh, of those different chains. Wow. So every single location had a location page Mm-hmm. which you would search for a broader keyword, like maybe breakfast restaurant near me or a restaurant mm-hmm. near me. And they also had sub pages now to yeah. support takeout in whatever city, delivery in whatever city. Right. And and that that kept in our, looking at our data, that really did keep the lights on in the kitchens where they would have had to shut down had they not had those pages and a demand and a way for, for them to be found when people were doing some of those non-branded queries. Right. Um, that was number one. Then the shift changed. The shift changed from, um, you know, we need we need more takeout and delivery and digital is a huge demand now too. We don't have the staff to help all these people because right. now we have whole 
digital that people are getting used to. And we've got people coming in. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we've got a patio now and a, and a tarp outside so we can double our capacity mm-hmm. and how much, you know, how much we can support. Yeah. But now we have a fraction of the staff because people didn't come back. What do we do? Mm-hmm. Um, that drove us to help with jobs pages. So right. just last week, we launched 3,500 job pages wow. across every single location yeah. to try to help them get people who are looking for restaurant jobs near me, server jobs near me, bartending jobs near me. Mm-hmm. You know, the two that that haven't picked up on any demand, and you can see this in Google Trends, mm-hmm. are dishwasher jobs. Um, what was the other one? Dishwasher was one of them and cook was the other. So they're still having trouble getting cooks and dishwashers because there's no demand for them. Right. Server jobs, the demand for those are coming back. Yeah. Bartender jobs are up, you know, yeah. skyrocketing because bars yeah. are open. But uh, but yeah, so that's and again, every business is different in how they're how they're yeah. dealing with it. And some of them, some of them are dealing with inventory issues, not just yeah. staffing issues. Not a lot I can help with there, but I can yeah. definitely bring, you know, people who are seeking a job or looking for takeout or delivery, we can drive them in through content strategy and creating dedicated content for those queries. Yeah. And I love how, you know, that when you're looking at search, um, searches that people are doing, it's a real indication of what's going on in the world, isn't it? And that the way that you responded to that, you know, and, you you know, often the conversations we have about the pandemic on this show is like, oh, big brands need to show empathy and some of the bigger topics, but you're right there. And it's the actual, you know, you can see the shift. Oh, it was takeout. Then it was, oh, now I need to to get people into to recruit. So therefore it's job. So that's really interesting about how keeping in touch with what people are searching for on Google and looking at those trends that you're, I mean, I'm, I'm saying Google, but, <laughs> but we, yeah. we were, we were rolling with the, the business objectives when mm. we started those, but, but you're right. I think, I think that would have given us even an even better edge had yeah. we pay a little more attention to what some of the trending searches were. I think yeah. it's a great idea. Yeah. And what is it that, um, so, you know, back to the fact that you've been in, in this business since the business began, really, but since, since, uh, since, um, engine, yeah, <laughs> since, since content needed to be optimized. Um, so what changes have you seen over the years? I mean, Google is constantly changing its algorithm. It confuses right. a lot of people. It's a, a very mysterious, but what have you seen yeah. change? I mean, there used to be big trends for, you need to mention keywords a certain number of times, mm-hmm. all those kinds of hacking old trends. What's changed? Honestly, I think it's getting easier. I think, Mm -hmm. I think we don't have to try to game the system anymore. We Mm -hmm. don't have to try to find hacks and techniques. You know, we can, we can really just focus our time and energy on, on creating the best page Mm -hmm. um, based on, on what competitors are doing to come up with a more helpful page to every user, to users with slow internet connections, to users on different browsers and, um, you know, to, to users with accessibility issues, we mm-hmm. can focus our time and energy on just providing much better content, as mm-hmm. opposed to trying to figure out a way to hack our less than um, desirable page to the top of the search results. So right. I think that's the, the biggest um, theme that mm-hmm. I've seen. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, there are a lot of, of digital marketers that still mm-hmm. kind of go out and read an old ebook, probably even some of mine from like 2004 <laughs> five and blaming me for it like yeah. get that stuff off the internet but um but i think i think that's that's the, the predominant theme that started really yeah. about 10 years ago when google started launching all these these quality updates right mm-hmm. they'd already been doing some spam filtering but really it was around 2011 that they started to address 
content that was, you know, really more, more thin or yeah. um, not as helpful, or maybe it's copied from a manufacturer, you know, page. Yeah. Um, then 2012, when, um, you know, when the, the lazy digital marketer <laughs> said, well, I'm not going to create better content. Instead, I'm just going to link my way to the top and Google yeah. bomb it by putting keywords and links. Yeah. So 2012, Google's like, no, 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 we're going to put this penguin update out here yeah. and filter out anything that feels like, like you're trying to game search results with links. Yeah. So really for the last eight years, you know, our, our focus as digital marketers is just to yeah. create the best page to solve for what the user's real intent nice. is. And the keywords help a little bit with, you know, getting mm. that initial crawl and sort of pre-qualifying to show up for those keywords. Yeah. But once, once we've shown there and once people have started clicking on our result and they found it helpful and they didn't go back to Google, yeah. you know, the keywords and the, you know, the links don't really matter as much. It's really yeah. about how, how users are choosing us over the competing listings because we stand out yeah. um, and them staying on our website because we were able to provide a helpful um, you know, page for what their intent was. I think, I think that's going to be words too. Uh, that's going to, uh, uh, I can't, I'm trying to search for the right words, talking about words and so. but I think, I think, right. I think that the listeners are going to love to hear that. The fact that it, it's yeah. not this, it's magic anymore, but you've got to create quality content. And I also yep. think that it's actually speaks to what we'd hope search was about right which is that it's about you know the the keywords now is about making sure you're using the relevant terms and the relevant language that that your potential buyer or consumer is talking in right so keywords now moves from you know something dark and sinister and stuffing in there and all that kind of stuff to cheaty to actually being well you just need to speak in the language of the buyer and the consumer and, 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 and be relevant to what they're searching for. Is that what you've seen? Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I think, I think there's two, there's two ways to look at search. There's the, you know, the, the hack your way to the top, mm-hmm. right? Use, use shortcuts and techniques and yeah. game your way through based on, on what you see in black hat forums or whatever. Yeah. And then take the risk of one day Google basically removing your page from the results and having to start over. Mm-hmm. And if those pages were generating thousands of dollars of revenue and that was yeah. your primary source of digital marketing income, you're taking yeah. a pretty big risk. Yeah. The other approach, the other way to look at it is is strategic, right? As I mm-hmm. mentioned earlier, what what is our, our technical SEO roadmap for the next quarter, for yeah. the next um, 12 months? What's our KPI goal with improving conversion rate, improving page load, improving... Um, you know, uh, how users are interacting with the, the, the yeah. page. Um, what's our roadmap look like for content? We know we know all these search terms have driven traffic to our yeah. site based on what Google's yeah. already given us in Search Console and in, in some of our paid search analytics. Mm-hmm. What about competitor insights? What if we took our, our top 20, 30, 50 competitors, mm-hmm. right, aggregated all the keywords that they're appearing for, yeah. parsed out those brand terms because we're not going to try to rank for our competitor's name no. uh, and come up with a new site map, a new structure based on the search terms that we're not getting traffic for that our competitors are. Yeah. Let's roadmap that into a information architecture or taxonomy that in two to three years from now, we'll have addressed every single way yeah. uh, and every single part of the funnel that somebody would be searching for, you know, yeah. what we do, who we are and, and, you know, the benefits of our product or service. And the last part, you know, is doing the same thing with off page, where do we, um, where do we get most of our referral mm-hmm. leads from? Let's look yeah. at our analytics and see if we can get, see if we can get a relationship going with those sites that are referring traffic to us so that we get more of that qualified traffic and maybe even some links that could benefit our SEO. Mm-hmm. Where do the top 20, 50, maybe even a hundred mm-hmm. of our competitors get their links from? Let's mm-hmm. run a pivot table 
to understand which sites are linking to our competitors, but not yeah. to us yeah. so that we can find the center of that semantic web and yeah. be categorized correctly so that we don't need to use a thousand keywords. Yeah. Google will just show us for those other terms because we're right in the middle of that same category of our competitors. Yeah. So from an off-page visibility standpoint, doing that a sort of reverse engineering helps to create the sitemap. And the one thing I've, I've noticed, two things actually, I've noticed that, that most um, marketing departments don't do. Number one is creating a KPI tracker. Just use right. a Google sheet if you want to. Yeah. Uh, break it up by tech KPIs, by uh, content KPIs, by off-page KPIs, and then at the bottom, your metrics, right? Mm -hmm. What's our revenue from organic? What's mm -hmm. our, our leads if you're not tra tracking revenue? Mm -hmm. And then at the end, what's our KPI goal and what percentage are we there each month so that there's a yeah. conversation you have with your team to say, hey, are we going to hit our KPI goals? How, yeah. are, are we on pace? Or do yeah. we need to kick things in the gear? What's going on? The, the second thing I noticed that they, they don't do as I mentioned before, is is really roadmap out an actual strategy. Mm -hmm. and what are we going to do to attack those areas? So yeah. I think there's there's something you know in terms of industry trend that that modern marketers um, should be doing to um, to address search is you know yeah let's create the strategy of what we want to do yeah um, let's do all of that research and create our roadmap. Yeah, and it sounds like you're suggesting it's an iterative process. And I can imagine that you've probably, if you've had clients for a long period of time, you've had to go back to them and, and refine, right, as the algorithm changes yeah, and as, every year. as this thing shifts, right? Yeah, so, yeah, and, and and I also, I mean, we talk a lot about planning also on, on this on this podcast. So it sounds to me like yeah. you're you're taking that that journey, which is, this is where I want to get to. And this is this, these are the changes that I think the SEO can bring us. These are the business benefits and these are our goals. And then how do I iteratively move through that? And is that just, is that just making some changes, doing some tests, seeing how that works and, and moving forward? A lot of it. And if yeah. with larger brands, it's easier because when you make a change, you can see those changes reflecting in the search results quickly. Yeah. Smaller brands, a uh, little bit difficult because it takes some time, mm -hmm. right? They're, they don't get as much traffic. They don't get yeah. crawled to as much by the search engine bots yeah. that the larger brands do because they have yeah. so many more links to them. Yeah. So it, it is it is more challenging for smaller businesses, I think, and, and yeah. running some of those tasks. Say if we change the title of this page to try to stand out a little bit more in the search mm -hmm. results. Uh, will it help our rankings? And yeah. then you don't see that title change reflect for like a week, you know, yeah. whereas with a larger brand, you'll yeah. see it the next day. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think you can do uh, a lot more testing when you have, you know, a site that gets significantly more traffic. Right. But, uh, but you're right, you know, and that's, that's probably the fun part of, of being an SEO. They say it's, yeah. you know, a mix of art, science, math, and creativity, right? Yeah. And, and part of that is, is the, the industry study type work that you yeah. do when, you know, when you're doing that, that 50 to a hundred, um, you know, backlink analysis of what the competitors are doing. That's not yeah. just to find out where you need to get links. You're really studying the industry yeah. to see where the industry gets yeah. links. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're, when you're looking at local pages and you're, you're analyzing the pages that mm -hmm. show up in the search results and picking out yeah. unique attributes like video or a 360 video or a, a native review yeah. or, um, I don't know, maybe you have store images. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're, when you're finding all those different criteria and then aggregating them into a list, yeah. um, that's fun. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun research. You get to learn a lot about an industry, but yeah. at the same time, you're also learning about search algorithms yeah. to an extent, right? To the extent of, of finding, um, finding overlapping focal points that could be playing a role in helping the pages that rank rank where it's not is the history component. You don't know if, that URL that doesn't have any of the same things these other ranking pages have. Why is that URL at the top? Mm. There's no link. You yeah. know, the content's different. 
They're not using the right keywords. Why are they there? Well, they've been there for six years and yeah. people recognize the brand. So they're yeah. choosing that result more. So it's more the, the, the search behavior and the history of that URL that's yeah. determining its ranking, not the, the focal points that we found common among the other pages. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting it, dynamic. And it's, and it's about people's behavior as well. Like you say, like, um, and, and I thought it was interesting earlier, you were talking about, you know, that, you know, engaging people so they don't return to the Google results. And I've been in content marketing for a long time, I've been in content management for a long time. And it used right. to be my stick when I did a, a presentation or, you know, keynote or whatever, I would always talk about hovering over the back button. That The thing for our content needs to be is we need to remember that the person that we're engaging with is hovering over the back button. I don't know that people do that so much now because they're on mobile devices and stuff, but they're, they're always one click away from going back to all those search results and choosing somebody else. So it's mm -hmm. getting that compelling link inside the search results like you say and some of that might be based on brand recognition and stuff and awareness oh, of there's, you. So, there's so much you can do though yeah. and you, can, you can put you can put um you know faq markup on the page and have frequently asked questions right underneath your listing you could mark up a, a video thumbnail or a, an image yeah. so that they appear as thumbnails in a, in a yeah. mobile search result yeah um, you can you can use title tag principles you know, such as a call to action, the keyword you want to rank for and some unique selling proposition. Yeah. You're not just shoving keyword and brand name into a title and hoping someone's going to click on it. Yeah. You're actually giving them some sort of a call to action and, you know, yeah. presenting something unique that's a selling proposition for you. So they want to click on you. Yeah. There's so many things that you can do to make your listing stand out mm -hmm. so that you do get clicked on. And and I think I think a lot of marketers feel like they don't have to advertise, but all right. the studies show that if you're doing both Google ads, yeah. Bing ads and yeah. organic and yeah. a user sees your listing twice, you know, once in paid and once in organic, even yeah. though they may not click on the paid ad, um, they're more likely to click on the organic right. because they've seen you more prominently and start to infer that you're a better brand. Well, that's, so I think, yeah, I mean, that's just the fundamentals of marketing and advertising, isn't it? That somebody needs to see you four or five times before that brand recognition, ki recognition kicks in. It doesn't matter whether they see you in the search results, in a paid ad, in a LinkedIn ad. They may not react until something triggers and, and off you go. I've, I'm going way over time. I haven't asked any of the prepared questions. I'm really enjoying our conversation, Steve. Um, no worries. So, um, where, so I think we've dispelled a lot of this and we've actually discussed some of the things I wanted to discuss. So um, for many, SEO is, is seem like a dark art. I think this conversation's kind of opened that up and maybe it isn't. We're just right. writing good quality content. And then one of the things I wanted to ask you about was content marketing. I think we've covered that completely. But it's also yeah. riddled with technical jargon. I mean, we've used a little bit of the jargon in this conversation. I think when you were talking about backlinks, for example, there's the term of domain authority, which the backlinks bring and all that kind of good stuff. But yeah. where do you recommend that marketers start i mean we talk about having a goal and we're talking about working towards that goal but where would you say that people should really start with this stuff i would start with that kpi template mm -hmm. i would start by creating a google sheet you know with um you know that first column being all the the technical um tasks yeah. that you want to track uh, those those technical areas that i would have in those rows would be security privacy accessibility mm -hmm. i would have mobile friendliness and if you're unsure of you know of where to go to to do some of that testing, we do have um, uh, we do have a, a course on our site that you could take. In fact, if if your listeners are interested, um, you could just go to um, uh, Academy of Search mm -hmm. where we have those courses. Just use code SEO Steve 
and it'll waive all the costs so that oh, you can wow. check out that same course. But we have all our templates in there. So mm-hmm. if you want to kind of download that audit template, mm-hmm. you know, take those different focal points and the important criteria mm-hmm. and put those into your KPI tracker yeah. and then work with your web developer and say, um, you know, in the next year, I want to knock out all of these things. Yeah. And it's be all at once. And it's yeah. a lot of work, including improving page speed, improving conversion yeah. rates, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, the next, as, as I mentioned earlier, the, the content side, we want to, yeah. you know, once we've identified which search terms we want to appear from, from our own search console data mm-hmm. and from, you know, those competitor insights, load them up into a keyword tracker, maybe, yeah. um, you know, uh, uh, SEMrush, right? Yeah. S-E-M-R-U-S-H. Yeah. It's a great tool to to track kind of where you are and segment it by, you know, upper and lower funnel. If, if you're an attorney, all the lawyer, attorney, mm-hmm. law firm keywords, that's, you know, that's your lower funnel target that you really want to make sure you're appearing for. Yeah. But to get there, you're going to need some of that content marketing, that upper funnel content. Yeah. Segment that, how to, where to, why to. You can get a lot of ideas just from going to answerthepublic.com. Yeah, or I love that. Yeah. 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 So I think that's where I would start is I would start by creating that KPI tracker. Yeah. Maybe, maybe work with a couple of different SEO specialists or hire a consultant and say, you know, Hey, help me create this baseline. So I know where I'm at mm-hmm. and recommend some KPIs based on, you know, what's, what's the opportunity from right. the keywords that I'm showing up for and the ones that I'm not, yeah. where could I go? And what would that mean yeah. to me if I was in the top three results for those search terms? Yeah. That way I know what I'm working toward. Once yeah. you have that in place, it's really just finding the resources to help you through it. So I would, I would start there, get that one year plan together, um, you know, yeah. and then every month sit down with your web developer, your yeah. content person, your off page person, and maybe somebody who's good at web analytics, you know, and have that little uh, monthly touch base to see how, how you're progressing toward hitting those KPI goals. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. And then so many of us, and I've been guilty of this in the past, you just sort of jump into the hamster wheel, you get going and you you don't think about that long term you're always just thinking about the next thing and i think that's yeah, don't that's just some do digital advice. yeah that's uh, just excellent i, I hear so many people oh i i do facebook yeah what do you do what's your yeah. campaign strategy yeah. what's your influencer strategy yeah. you know what's your what's your um uh you know your your goal specifically for followership and engagement rate yeah. you know like oh, no, i don't i just i just post stuff yeah okay. yeah yeah great yeah good luck yeah. with that yeah, it's the same all across digital. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm, I'm running out of time. And uh, so I'm going to come to our final question. We have a regular okay. feature on Rockstar CMO. The Rockstar CMO swim pool, our portal to hell for all the overhyped trends, BS and snake oil that seems to plague the profession we love. What would you throw in there? I mean, you've been around for a while. I, I should imagine this is you probably. I would things. throw in there. I would throw in there the folks that, that still think they can game search results such as using private blog networks or mm-hmm. fiverr.com to mm-hmm. to purchase or procure links. Yeah. I think there's still a myth and and a lot of SEOs still believe it. I see yeah. it in in yeah. the communities that we follow. Yeah. They believe in these things. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because if they are working with clients, those clients are going to get hit. Yeah. At some point, they're going to see a digital footprint of yeah. what they're doing to game search results yeah. and they're going to lose all of that traffic. Yeah. And and they're going to be the ones worrying about the algorithm updates. Yeah. You know, those that are practicing all the right things around yeah. technical, contextual and off-page visibility are just going to continue seeing growth and those people that are hacking their way yeah. are going to have to be dealing with these constant Google updates to to fix whatever it is that they were doing yeah. wrong. So I would say avoid that's the biggest thing is is avoid um, agencies that aren't transparent about what they're doing for mm-hmm. you. Um, and uh, avoid anything that feels like you're trying to game the yeah. results as opposed to, you know, nurturing a, uh, you know, a strong yeah. uh, campaign over time, you know, pouring 
water and sunlight on the plants instead of miracle I love it I love it yeah and I mean I I mean we all get these things don't we I mean running Rockstar CMO I get emails all the time that people want to write authentic content as long as they could drop in a couple of backlinks and I'm even getting on the podcast that people are if people are saying you need to talk to this person when I track back where the agency are coming from they're actually they're actually an SEO agency looking to create domain authority and want the links it's around it's unfortunate yeah, yeah and i and it is it is a shame but yeah so that was perfect i really enjoyed that conversation steve and i think that seo is incredibly Likewise. important to us and i think you've you've demystified that very well and cool. when people spin the dial on the interwebs where are they going to find you um i'm everywhere as seo steve <laughs> yeah and i think i think i'm one of very few weedemans you mm-hmm. know the wii um is a unique thing so yeah. um uh, so it's, it's a Finnish name that's very uncommon. So yeah. you could either use the tag uh, or the handle Wiedemann yeah. to see myself in the group. Or if you just want to talk to me or hang out with me, just um, SEO Steve everywhere. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Steve. Really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. A fascinating conversation. And as you heard, you can find him at SEO Steve on Twitter. And I will, of course, include all his links in the show notes, including the link to his training offer. Right. It's that time of the week. It's Friday evening. Time to wind down and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Ah, hello, my friend. It's good to see you. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm here in the bar with my. Uh, I guess it's a parrot. Really. Um, it's it, it seems to be doing quite a bit of squawking. Um, hold on, let me just go um, slap this parrot around a little bit and see. Um, I joke, folks. No parrots were harmed in the making of this segment of but, the show. Um, but my editing skills will be tested in the post-production, which is your yeah, goal. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, so uh, we do have a wonderful drink. It's great to see you here in the bar, mm-hmm. and we do have a lovely, a lovely drink. Um, here we are. You know, we're, we're getting close, I would say. Not, you know, we're not quite there yet, but we're getting close to the end of summer here. Um and, um, you know, I always, yeah, and it's funny because I know summer doesn't really end until the middle of September, but I always think of the end of summer really as the beginning of September. Um, you know, the, here in the U.S. we have Labor Day. Um, and uh, that is, to me, that always feels like back to school, back to fall, back to, you know, all of that. E- even though here in Southern California, the weather does not get cooler for some time. No. Um I was anyway, we're going to easy for you to talk about the end of summer when you live in California. <laughs> it is well because there is they, I mean they blend into each other and 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 you know um so we have here um what we're calling a little bit of the end of summer cocktail. Um and uh this one I think yeah this I think you might be able to at least approach this one. Um we start with some Hendrix gin. Um and um uh that's always a a, a place to start but uh-huh. We type we, we we so if you if you look at it as 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 one part gin, hmm. we're gonna add probably a, a probably a quarter part 
you know, so just a, a little bit of dry sherry. Um, and then a little bit of, and this is going to sound weird, but I promise you this sounds great. Um, it's a little bit of pineapple juice and a wow. little bit of lemon juice. And then a, a slice, if you have one, a slice of cucumber. Wow. Um, and putting all that together into a shaker and mixing it up and pouring it over ice is, and it's just a very lovely cocktail. Wow. And what do you call that? Um, we're calling it the end of summer. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. And um, so I will attempt to make it with the ingredients that I have on my desktop bar. Um, so did you put ice in that? Uh, yeah, I did. I pour, What I did was I made it in a shaker just to get everything all mixed together. Ah. And then, of course, I pour it over um, pour a it beautiful over rocks ice. glass. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have my shaker at, at my desk, but I do have Hendrix gin. So therefore, I am, for a change, on message with you. <laughs> nice. What's going on with the tequila, mate? You haven't had tequila for a few weeks. No, you know, I've, I've been trying to mix it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Well, I'm, oh, as you might have heard there, um, that isn't pineapple juice. Or what else was it that you put into yours? I have gone for some tonic water. You'll be surprised to learn uh, from my ingredients I have here. Let's see, I've got some tonic water in there. Um, let me give this a taste. Oh, it's another great cocktail, Robert. You do it every week. And I, I you know, every single week. It's, it's almost as if we're drinking the same drink every week. It's amazing. And this, this yeah. is delicious. I could drink one of these every week. Mmm. Very nice. And um, what do we call that again? We're calling it the end of summer. The end of summer. I don't want to think about the end of summer, but it is actually tipping with rain here. So, so I think we've already got the end of summer here in the UK. Um, so, um, <laughs> well, if we ever had the beginning of summer in the UK. <laughs> yes. Well, um, we, we're obviously, it's the end of summer. Um, whereabouts are we drinking these end of summer drinks? Well, I think we have to find somewhere where there's like a little meadow somewhere like you know it feels like we need to be i don't know i i I picture us next to a little lake um you know very pastoral right you know where um so i'm not sure where that might be it might be south of france it might be here in the u.s up in northern california there's some great places but i picture us sitting outside picnic um, having these end of summers and sort of enjoying the warmth, but yet not too hot, uh, of the end of summer and sort of celebrating the, you know, sort of, uh, end or beginning of fall as it were. Very nice. Well, as, as we were in Geneva last week, maybe we just hopped into our, um, cause obviously, I mean, last week we were living the life. So we presumably got some fancy continent cruising car that we just popped ourselves over to France for a bit like you would. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> so we're um we're overlooking this uh, this meadow and we're drinking these these fabulous end of summer drinks and we're we're, we're um uh reminiscing about what a wonderful summer we've had and uh what about we but the conversation turns to marketing what are we going to talk about this week this week it's a really interesting conversation i think um and it it, it all goes back to a <laughs> There's a fascinating trend I find these days and, and managing change management in, uh, in, 
in business is, is one of the hardest things you're going to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it, typically what happens is especially, and this is especially true when we think about marketing and content marketing and content strategy, right. Which is we're going to reorganize because in most businesses, content is kind of everybody's job and no one's strategy. And so yeah. one of the things that inevitably comes up is like all these people are creating content for their own silos, their own nefarious purposes. We need to centralize that to some degree, right? We need mm-hmm. to start removing quite frankly, either the burden, the responsibility, the privilege, depending on what lens mm-hmm. you look at it, of mm-hmm. content creation from some people. Yeah. And it might be because they're not good at it. It might be because, quite frankly, they shouldn't be doing it because it's not part of their job. Um, and it may be because all of the above, right? Um, and so uh, one of the things that I have found is that um, there's an effect here that makes this even more complex and that is people don't want to give it up even though they say they don't want it it's like you know it's like it's, it's like you ever have a kid and you like you want to take something away from them it's something that they didn't even know yeah. that they wanted two minutes yeah. ago and you're like yeah. take it away from them and, and they're going to mm-hmm. scream and yell at you mm-hmm. but they have no idea that they even wanted it in the first place right yeah yeah and um, economists, they call there's a there's a word for this. It's called the endowment effect, mm-hmm. m- meaning basically people are much wa- more likely to desire something they own rather than pay for it or acquire it if they don't own it. Mm-hmm. Um, th- so the example that's often used is you go, okay, let's pretend Anna and Meg are two students at the same school, right? Mm-hmm. And by some random lottery. Um, Anna is going to be given a school coffee mug that she gets to keep. And Meg gets to see Anna get this. And so then Anna writes down what's the least amount of money that she would be willing to have to be paid to give up the coffee mug. And Meg is then asked how much she would pay to get the coffee mug that she just saw Anna get randomly for free. Mm -hmm. And the, the conventional wisdom would be that Anna would sell it for almost nothing, right? Because she just yeah. got it, got it randomly. Yeah. It's a coffee mug. Forget it. Yeah. But what the science shows is that actually she's going to ask for way more than Meg is willing to pay simply because she owns it now. Wow. And so I have seen this happen in business with these change management things because mm-hmm. here's an example. I was working with a client about two months ago. And the corporate blog, they had a corporate blog and it had all these ad hoc contributors to it. But the main contributors to it were the PR and corporate communications folks. Mm -hmm. And when I talked to them, they were like, yeah, we create all the blog posts for the corporate blog. I mean, we don't want to do it. We're, you know, Mm -hmm. we're actually not the ones responsible for it really. And we don't want the job, but nobody else is doing it. So we're going to do it. Right. So we, we took it upon ourselves to do it. And you go, okay, fine, great, thanks, write all that down. You're like, you know, thank yeah. you very much. And you yeah. would think on that, that they would be relieved if we came back a few weeks later and said, guess what? You don't have to do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. But, but they weren't. They were furious about <laughs> losing that. And so it, it's an interesting, you go, wait a minute, why are you so mad? You, you, just, you know, yeah. last week you said you didn't want to do this anymore. And now you, you're mad that you're going to not get to do it anymore. Yeah. But interestingly, what they find is 
and the scientists that did the research on this sort of endowment effect, what they found also is that it's not the loss of the thing. In other words, it's not the loss of the coffee mug or it's not the yeah. loss of the ownership of the blog. It's actually the, that they fear losing part of their identity. In other words, as soon as we own something, whether we wanted it or not, we, right. tend, to, we tend to put some of our identity into that thing. Yeah. And so taking it away from us is taking a little bit of our identity away. Right. And so how do you deal with that is how can you start to facilitate change in your business and look at those folks and say, look, we're not taking away your ability to contribute ideas or contribute ownership ideas or to contribute strategy to this. What we're relieving you of is the thing that you're not good at or that you need to lose, which is actually the production of the thing, the right. manufacturing of the blog post, of the content of the thing. Yeah. That's what we're taking away. And we're actually going to ask your, you know, and insist upon your uh, input into how we actually do things because you've been doing it so great or whatever it is. So yeah. that's just a fascinating trend that I started to see that that can help facilitate some of this new content strategy as we've as we've moved forward. I think it's re that's really interesting um, because it is, I, I've seen it too, that people say, oh, this writing, I hate doing the writing. And then you sort of try and relieve them of the writing and they, and they still want to carry on, a you know, it really st still doing it. So, um, and, and so you're, the, the way that you take things away from people is, is are you saying you, you're still involved? You're still, you know... Your, yeah, you to know, the extent it makes sense, yeah. obviously. And I mean, in, yeah, in yeah. some cases, obviously, it, you know, you just got to go, no, stop, slap their hand and say to go away, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and, you know, and, and deal with the screaming child. Yeah. Um, but but in, in, in other cases where you are actually trying to make this a little bit more of an elegant transition, yeah. just realize that it's not, you know, the reason that they're upset is not that they are, you know, desiring to lose the thing that they boned um, and in fact they were earnest when they said yeah it's not our job you know we don't want to do this but nobody else has stepped up yeah. but the reason that they're that they're angry that it just sort of holistically gets taken away is because yeah. their identity is in it and so you've got to make them feel as if you're respecting that right you that you're that you're actually yeah. addressing the fact that they've put their identity into this thing whether they wanted it in the beginning or not and so part of them is in this and so you've got to you, you you've got to recognize that and you know either for some time uh you know as a transition period or forever depending on your yeah. business strategy you know make them feel like they're still part of it yeah that, um but it, that's really odd though isn't it because you do see that where um but don't do you think some of that identity is the identity that they stepped up it didn't matter what the task was that nobody else is doing it so they stepped up and then you say to them well you know you don't need to step up anymore but we like stepping up with the with the with those is it something about that as well as that ownership thing about the about the fact that they were the ones who set it up yeah or that they stepped up you know this this whole thing well nobody else is doing it so we started doing it well you don't have to do it anymore but you know and they still you know it part of that identity you were saying about was that, that they were the people that stepped up Right. That's when they put their identity into it. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, and, and, you know, and again, this is not, you know, this is not empirically or binary true. It's not, yeah. you know, there, there are, there are degrees of this for sure. Yeah. But 
if you if if you see that they earnestly are doing this because no one else is stepping up and so they're yeah. stepping up yeah you have to assume in the beginning that they're putting their best into it right yeah. you know it may be item number 762 on their to-do <laughs> list and they're just doing yeah. it because nobody stepped up and they'll they'll do yeah. it in their free time and that may be the reason quite frankly that the blog is suffering is yeah. because they're trying to do it in their spare time as best they can and they can't get it done and so they're just trying to get something out there but that doesn't mean that they're not putting their full identity into it right, right. in other words we put the same level of identity into into, into the tasks yeah. that we that we do on the side as we do as part of our right. main you know focus right. Right. and or at least we associate them emotionally that way so yeah. you know just because they didn't have it as their primary focus doesn't mean that it's not you know it's not part of the you know right. a, a small a smaller or less important part of their identity right right i got it that sounds great and um when um when folks are looking for more thoughts of this nature um and they're they're, <laughs> they're looking for somewhere where they might find some of this stuff where might they look robert well you might find it at my little hovel on the net <laughs> called contentadvisory.net that's fantastic. Which is being updated. I'm, I've been yeah. I've been pleased to say that we're yeah. keeping it more updated these days. Yeah, you're on a bit of a roll. I, I like it. So you check back often. And when they spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Well, they're going to find us at uh, on Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. I'll be there, and I'll be on LinkedIn, um, and you know all the all the all oh. the usual suspects. All the usuals, apart from the yeah. stupid with my stuff. parrot. With I I will be there with <laughs> my parrot, and. <laughs> Um, I think it's time to let the parrot out of the cage now. Let <laughs> him start squawking again. I think it's time that you stop drinking. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's fantastic. Thank you, Robert. Increasingly, the conversation around marketing is about change management. And as usual, from Robert, some great points there. So that's a wrap on episode 74 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Steve and to Robert. I really appreciate their time and for them to share their insight. So please check out their work. You can find all their details in the show notes in your favorite podcatcher and at rockstarcmo.fm. We can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track, and jiving along with us. Let me know what you think. Get in touch with Rockstar CML on Twitter and LinkedIn. And please leave a rating or review in your favorite podcatcher or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, I chat with David Rodnitsky about his book, Unfair Marketing. Jeff Clark is back and I'll no doubt find Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, and I hope you'll again join us next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. 
Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.